this week, uh, a, a group of guys, we, we came together and then we usually just discuss the, the Sunday preacher, what we feel God is going to want to do through the Sunday meetings, and then we just reflect a little bit on what's going past. And so some of the guys just pointed out that I uh, had, a, had, a, um, had a little bit of heresy that I just want to correct. So apparently I said, I said God is ever-changing. And uh, what, I, what I mean with that, what I meant with that is that in the way that he works with us, he doesn't stagnate in one. He always takes us further into to different places with us. But as his character is <laughs> never changing, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. So I didn't want to um, make him sound that he's, uh, you never know, you know. Uh, he, he, <laughs> he's the same. He's the same, yesterday, today, and tomorrow. All right, so I'm uh, Heinrich and Laura, if you guys can quickly come to the front. So Heinrich and Laura, is, uh, um, oh, they've been with us for a number of years. Such, such an exemplary, <laughs> such an exemplary couple. Um, <laughs> and um, we had the privilege to marry them. Um, the 16th of December, and then they had the wildest honeymoon, <laughs> that I'm not going to ask them to share everything, all right, but they are going to share some, all right, this is child-friendly, by the way, so. <laughs> Thanks, Carla. Um, yeah, so yesterday, Carla asked us to share a little bit, and yeah, we just got so excited, because those who haven't spoken to us off the honeymoon yet. Please do, like, we have an amazing testimony. But those who have heard the story, um, yeah, we're just going to give some quick context of who we were basically before the honeymoon and then what Jesus did. So I'm just going to give over to Laura first. Hello, everyone. Um, so like Carla said, exemplary. <laughs> um, so like my whole life, um, I, I've had this moral compass. Like, I knew it was right. I knew it was wrong. Um, and I, I've always wanted to be perfect, um, so I held on to this identity of perfectionism for so long, um, and it, it came into my walk with Jesus, and just in how I gave myself to the church. Um, it was, I knew it was right, and I knew what was wrong, so obviously I would choose the right thing, um, so I knew how to present myself in a way that seems perfect, um, and my heart obviously was to serve the church and to serve Jesus and to love the Lord, um, but there was a very big part of me that did it in my own strength because I wanted to be right and I wanted to look perfect. Um, so, yeah, that's basically just the context that you guys need. <laughs> and, yeah, for me, it was always this thing of wanting to have control over the small things in my life with the hope that peace in small things would somehow go out to a, a greater peace. And, yeah, obviously, Jesus flips it completely around and he's the one that gives perfect peace. Um, and I just didn't believe that. So I constantly wanted to have control over the small things in my life, over my friendships, over leading a calm, over a relationship, going into marriage, over my finances, over my work. Um, and it's always been like sort of manageable. Like, it, it, like compartmentalize it. People can't see it on the surface. And like we were okay. Um, and if I had to be honest with myself, my dependency on my own ability was far greater than my dependency on the Holy Spirit. And I think I never came to a place where I actually needed to acknowledge that. So, yeah. So then came our wedding day, which was awesome, by the way. And, yeah, Kala, like you said, married us. And it was 
So, so glorious. And we went on a honeymoon. Our first, first six days was demon-free, but then <laughs> we had a bit of a, um, yeah, Jesus came in and he had to point some fingers at a lot of things. And basically just a picture to probably describe it the best. If you were to get someone's kitchen from the outside, it probably looked all nice and perfect on, on the outside. And even if you start opening up some cupboards, you probably won't see that there's something that's really wrong. And then if you start shining a torch, then there'll be a lot of cockroaches actually running around. So that's basically what happened to us. So the one evening we felt a very heavy spirit um, as we went into the room and we started praying and Andre said, um, Laura, I think you should pray for me. So I started praying for him and he started manifesting a demon. Nate <laughs> um, <laughs> And then all of a sudden, um, what I know is right and wrong and my perfectionism and my abilities are very small. Like, you know, like, you know, the only thing that can save us now is Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Um, so we started praying and, um, yeah, we realized that we can't do this in our own strength, like us in our own flesh and our eloquent words and nothing can, you know, get it away. It's just the Lord's presence. Um, so we ended up phoning a couple. They prayed with us for long. Praise the Lord for them. Um, prayed through the whole night. Then we phoned Kala. Kala had a whole session with me. Kala, Nako, and Andre and Amaria. Um, and what came out for me was, um, yeah, just this fake humility in um, how I think, you know, um, if I have all of the correct things, then I would appear in a certain way. Um, but they're not relying on the Lord um, to make me, um, yeah, to make me who He wants me um, to be. And there was this self-righteousness of thinking that, um, you know, if I do everything so well, then I deserve the Lord's favor. Um, but actually, I deserve nothing. <laughs> um, yeah, and it was so cool after that, that like the Lord highlighted so many things just in, um, yeah, just in how religious I was in my pursuit of Him, thinking that um, if I do everything perfectly, then He's pleased with me, and if I don't, then He's displeased, and then I need to work again. So it was everything just in my own strength. And um, yeah, me never actually coming to a place where I knew that I needed the Lord's mercy because of me always thinking that I'm doing it right. Um, yeah, and it was just so beautiful when the Lord revealed to me that, yo, I can't. <laughs> um, I'm a sinful human being and I'm in need of His mercy. And me, even in my own best efforts, um, doesn't please Him at all. It might look good from the outside, but if you look at the inside, it's not pleasing to Him. And it's it's actually just exhausting um, because you can't please Lord, the Lord in your own strength. Yeah, it was beautiful to see. And like even um, I've never seen the presence of Jesus bring so much freedom. Like never in my life have I seen so much freedom just through declaring the name of Jesus. Like it was insane. Um, and for me, we had a, a very long session. We had very, very long <laughs> sessions. Um, but just one of the main points I wanted to highlight, um, the Lord gave me this picture of me walking up this hill with so much weight on my back, trying to carry um, this weight, and I was almost like happy doing it, like because I didn't know any alternative, because the alternative was either I'm going to throw it off and people are going to see how broken I am and everything's going to crumble, or the alternative is I give it to Jesus and He is faithful to take it. Um, and like He showed me this picture of me walking up this hill, and He's always been there, He's always been faithfully walking alongside me, ready to take over whatever was on my shoulders. Like, he's never left me, and then all of a sudden came in. He was there all the time. Um, and then just in a moment, I had to throw off every weight that I was carrying, put it on the Lord, and freedom broke out, which was, which was amazing. And like I mentioned at the start as well, 
I wasn't living on the pendency of the Holy Spirit, not even close to what the Lord has called us to. And the Lord showed me this picture as well, where I've placed the Holy Spirit into like a Tupperware bucky. Like I've always acknowledged that He's there, um, but just not the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And then while we were praying, trusting for freedom, I saw the Lord like just ask me, like, open up this Tupperware bucky so that I can actually move among you and like I can flow. And then, yeah, just opening up the Tupperware bucky and the Holy Spirit like breaking out in that room. Um, and it was just so much freedom and so much weight being thrown off. Um, when we realize, like, we need Jesus, even our best efforts, even the best efforts that we can put in to appear godly, to appear pleasing to him, it's nothing, like, it's dead works. Um, and like Laura mentioned as well, he wants us to be, um, yeah, he wants to throw off every weight so that we can, we can run for him in a life that's actually pleasing to him in faith. Um, yeah, and I just also want to encourage everyone that that freedom that he gives is, is a free gift, um, it's because of the finished work that he's done on the cross, and it's only by that work, nothing else. Um, and it's a free gift that he wants to give to everyone because he loves us so much. That's why he chose to come and bring out all these hojas <laughs> on our honeymoon. He, he was so faithful not to wait. <laughs> Two years later, three years later, he, he, he was, because he was so, so in love with us, because he loves us so much, he chose to do it then. Um, and I think the call is always there for you to come and bring freedom, yeah, and we just need to be, be aware of where he's working. Yeah, and we're just so grateful um, to see that the Lord wants us to live in freedom. Like, it's not as hard for us to carry burdens in the way that we serve him. Like, he wants us to enjoy it and to enjoy his presence. Um, so, yeah, we're so encouraged just by, firstly, the Lord helping us to not rely on our own strength because it's, you physically gone through, <laughs> and then showing us just the power of um, yeah, the body and how we had so much, um, like we didn't hesitate to call people, and people just laid down their time for us, um, yeah, so we are very grateful, and um, yeah, it changed everything, like just how we want to be in church, and how we want to serve, now it's from a place of knowing that the Lord gave us something, and we have something to give, and not because it's the right thing to do, so yeah. <laughs> So, um, so just a little bit maybe from, from my, my perspective in, in this whole thing. So interesting I, um, what, what they've experienced. And it's if, if you guys have been with us for a little bit, and if you guys are in any way familiar with Heinrich and Laura, I mean, I want to say now, be before honeymoon, after honeymoon, before honeymoon, Look, and when I said they're an exemplary couple, I mean, Heinrich started laughing now. But if I, I said it on his wedding day and nobody laughed, everybody went like, yes. Right? And, 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 <laughs> and Marcus is including them. <laughs> they, 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 they. <laughs> They, they, they are exemplary in, in every way. I, I think if I would tell you guys how they handled themselves in the relationship from the outward and how they come to that wedding day, you know, it was like, it was according to the book. I mean, in, in every way, you know. But interesting, when I was praying for them on their wedding day, I felt the Lord said to me, I'm calling them to walk on high places. And I'm thinking like, yeah, it's, it's a nice one to give to Heinrich and Laura, you know, calling them to walk on high places. 
And as I, as I said that, I felt a, a verse dropped in my heart, and I don't know that verse. I, I went to that verse, and the verse said, I walk on high places with those who have a humble heart. Now, again, you know, if I, if I would have gone on the wedding day and say, Heinrich and Lara, sort out your pride. Nobody in that room, is, are you like, out of your mind? I mean, they are, in the way that they're carrying themselves, you wouldn't find a trace of arrogance. They're not boastful type of people, right? You look at them and they, they're good in their place type of people, right? Um, you know, so, but I, I, as I, as I spoke about it, and I felt the Lord was really highlighting that, um, you know, it's not arrogance as we would see it as pride or boastful as we would see it, you know, like that type of thing. It's, it's, it's really the self-reliance, it's independent, taking control of matters, right? Um, that's a much deeper thing. And even as I say it now, right, it is, <laughs> it, we would go like, yeah, it's wrong, but it, it's just maybe a little bit of a frown on it, but it's okay. You know, the, the difference between what we would consider as good and God, it's just one O. <laughs> it's just one O in there. And we think it's so close to one another, good and God. It's just, you know, Heinrich and Lara, you know, they, they're so good. If they could just a little bit, I would be perfect. But the, the, the gap between good and God as, as far as the east is from the west, it is massive. Now, it is more deceptive, but the gap between good and God is as far as evil from God. The gap between good and God is as far as evil from God. Evil we just distinguish much easier. We distinguish good so easily. It's, you see, something, okay. You know, good, it deceives us so often. So, um, six days after the wedding, I'm on the farm, right? 11 o'clock at night, I see a missed call from Heinrich. A guy is for six days on honeymoon. He phones the pastor. It's surely a pocket call. I mean, there's no ways, you know. There's no ways, you know. So I, I uh, ignore the call. Set in our car. I only phone in a pocket call. Don't worry. So, um, <laughs> next morning, we want to go for a quick cycle. We wanted to go earlier, but Naku, we struggled to get her out of bed. So we... We, we're waiting and we're waiting and uh, I get a call from Heinrich again and I'm like yes, this is a bit suspicious so I answer it and I can hear the panic on the other side right I can hear like yes like what believe what's happening on the side you know I can it's like, so I'm like <laughs> you know I know some people get freaked out on their honeymoon, but uh, um, I, 
Heinrich, this is normal, man. Don't worry, you know. No, no, no. And uh, I, I say, still not realizing fully what's going on, I say, listen, guys, we'll, we'll pray for you, we'll pray for you. Uh, Yandra and Amadia was also with me, get Naku out of the bed, and we are sitting, we're sitting, we're sitting, we put on loudspeaker, and we're like, okay, guys, just, we're going to pray for you. And as we're praying, I hear on the other side, Buh! and I'm like, was that little Laura? <laughs> uh, it, it was little Laura, right? And then, as they would say, then the journey would continue, you know, where we have <laughs> prayed for many, many hours, many hours, to, to, and, and many people involved to, to help them get free. And, you know, I, if I tell you the amount of hours we prayed for about, I think, all in all, 30 to 40 hours, 30 to 40 hours. I'm, 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 I'm not so good with numbers. I'm an exaggeration guy, but, but that is about, eh? Hey? 25 to 30. <laughs> You're still not free enough, bro. <laughs> so anyway, 25 to, 25 to 30 hours. So we, we, we are praying. Uh, not, not, not me alone. Many, many people got involved in praying. And there was the thought afterwards, you know, it's like, why? Why did, it, uh, why did it take so long? I mean, even if I give the testimony to you guys now, it's like Jesus surely went with a 50-volt uh, um, electricity stream in there and demons scattered. It sounded like we had like a half volt in there, you know. But it wasn't the case that I felt like there was a lack of power. It was almost, and, and we describe it after, it was almost as Paul would say, we labor, we labor, as a woman is in childbirth, so we labor until we see people perfected in the Lord. Because there was a laboring that was part of the Lord's journey in order to see them really come free in that, in that thing. Now, uh, um, why I actually pointed them out, oh, um, the story is, Last year, a couple of times, um, Naku had received a couple of words from people that they see her pregnant, all right? So we are convinced that it's spiritual, all right? And, uh, um, and, 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 and that God wants to, you know, give birth to things and so on. And uh, after we, we finished with their journey, Naku saw a picture of a baby, you know, being born. And I, I, I felt in considering, even as we consider it, that this would be their freedom in what God is doing there will be the firstborn of many to come that will walk in that type of freedom, right? And there was a, a couple of years ago, about two years ago, God swept through the church and cleansed, cleansed, it, cleansed it, right, with all kinds of impurities, sexual immorality, and that type of thing. So if you guys are a visitor with us, we are quite upfront and we're quite honest. We, we, we speak in the light. Just by the way, that is our culture, yeah. We are um, um, honest about where we are and that type of thing. So, um, but, but two years ago, that, that's what happened. A lot of, of sexual immorality, a lot of sin came to the fore, not only in this congregation, but across the border, across the, all the Joshian churches, people started confessing and brought to the light. And God purified the church, right? 
I think there's a wave coming that God is going to sort out a different thing, and that's the spirit of unbelief, right? He's cleansing the church of the spirit of unbelief. It's an interesting thing, right? Because as God has journeyed with the nation of Israel, right, out of Egypt, which is the picture of the world, the blood on the lamb, blood of the lamb, which is the picture of Jesus' saving blood on the doorpost. Israel comes out through the Red Sea, baptism, cloud by day, fire by night, it's the Holy Spirit, and their journey to the promised land. As they got to the promised land, send the spies, the spies go out, the people that walked with God and saw seas open, saw fire clouds, manna. I mean, this is like the amazing, how genuine and real they saw the power of God and the reality of God daily. Send 12 spies to go check out this promise that God has promised. God worked by promise, right? God doesn't work with salaries. He works with promise. Salaries you work for. Promise you take hold by faith. Right? We are the people of promise. We are not servants. We're sons. <laughs> and so when they came to the promised land and the report came from the spies, you guys know the story, right? What did they say? You know, you, you, you can't... Uh, um, uh, it's, it's just too devastating. It's just too much there. Uh, sorry, maybe we can, Rulo, if we can uh, quickly put uh, Hebrews 3. Beware, brethren, lest it be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. So I, I just want to stop here, you know, and I'm just like, I don't think we, un we underestimate <laughs> the evilness of unbelief. We underestimate the evilness of unbelief. As long as we keep the Christian face up, we come and we attend and we do what we do, but as absent of unbelief, we start to kind of get away. But there was a time that these guys could not enter in. It was evil before the Lord, the inability or the distrust in God. But exhort one another daily, while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. While it is said, today if you will hear his voice, do not harden your heart as in the rebellion. For who, having heard, rebelled? Indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt led by Moses? Now of whom was he angry forty years? Was it not those who sinned? whose corpses fell in the wilderness. And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey? So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Therefore, since a promise remained of entering his rest, let us fear lest any of you seem to have come short of it. And so, I, 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 uh, I know, you know, when there's an encouragement of God cleansing His church from sexual immorality or impurities, right? It's sometimes obvious and surface-like. But unbelief and reliance on self is a different kettle of fish. And I'm telling you, 
And I, I'm, 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 it's so cool that God has used Heinrich and Lara, actually. Let's go like Heinrich and Lara. God wants to cleanse you out. You are full of evil and unbelief. It's like, no, no, no. You can point a whole lot of other guys out here, <laughs> but not them. And so, you know, in, in, in the beginning, as, as God has related with his people, the very temptation from the beginning is this. When God created Adam and Eve and he walked with man, he said, look, guys, there is these two trees in the garden, which is special, the tree of life, which probably is a picture of Jesus and our alliance of Jesus is to partake of Jesus. And then there's the picture of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Right? Good and evil is on the same tree. Good and evil is on the same tree. And then he says to them, the devil says to him, listen guys, eat from that tree. Eat from that tree because if you would eat from that tree, you will be like gods in your own eyes. You will no longer need God. You will be able to distinguish between good and evil. You would not need your reliance on God. You would be able to do it on yourself. They present the fruit to them. And that fruit looked evil. That fruit looked good. Heinrich and Lara good. <laughs> good in every way. So that they went like, let's take of it. Let's substitute that O. And they substitute God with good. And they partake of the tree. Jesus, oh God promised them this thing. If you would eat of this tree, this is the promise. If you would eat of this tree, you would surely, uh, it, it, this is what it says exactly. On that day, boom, on that day, I think it's uh, Genesis 3, 9. On that day that you eat of that fruit, you will die. That they die on the day that they ate of that fruit. I mean, Adam lived another 900 years. On that day that you eat of that fruit, you will surely die. They ate of that fruit. Now their bodies didn't die. God is not a liar. They died. They died and they substitute the life of God, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and they died spiritually. Right? And I've... I, I've, I've I mean, I, I know this town a little bit. I've been here in six years. And, and, and what this town of Stellenbosch are producing is good. There is, there is and I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not just speaking of, uh, um, you know, you get obviously a lot of gifted people and so on, but people are they're, they're well-mannered in their place regarding religion institutions, attending church, all those things. But somehow, in this town, subtly, good is it's, it's, it's kind of replace God. And there's a subtle reliance on themselves. So, just a little bit later on, they got into Genesis 9. And it's an interesting, that happen, interesting thing that happens in Genesis 9. Is, it's the Tower of Babel. 
Now, you won't believe it, but the Tower of Babel became a city. All right? The Tower of Babel became a city later. And that city became a theme all through the Bible. And the city's name is Babylon. Okay? Now, this is the origin of the Tower of Babel. This is the origin. It says, a couple of people come together and says, we're going to build a tower to reach God. We're going to cancel the distance between us and God. We're going to reach God. And it's the origin and the thought of every religion that is out there. Every religion in its foundation declares this. We're going to cancel the distance between us and God. We're going to come and through whatever method, attain to a place that we can be with God. You can look, and I'm, I mean, I can go for every religion. Islam, Judaism, we can throw Christianity in there as well. Careful now, I'll explain myself now, I'll explain myself now. Buddhism, Hinduism, and whatever it is, will give you a set of rules. There's few variations on the set of rules, but there's a basic line that's very similar, right? And then, according to how good you stick to that rule, you are building a tower to cancel distance between you and God. If you've done really good, you come very close. If, like Heinrich and Lara close. If you are not so good, no names mentioned. You stay far. And so it's this constant effort to cancel distance between us and God through the work that we have done. Every religion, every religion on the face of the earth have that origin. And every religion, when I unify, is that's the motivator. That's the thing that drives them. And in the center, it relies on man's ability to stick to whatever is required. It's interesting, right? And so, Babel becomes Babylon. And God's people in the journey of Egypt, Egypt for me, look, I'm, I'm using a bit of... Uh, um, symbolism in here, but Egypt as a symbol means the world, means in our unsafe state. You know, we came out of Egypt, Moses is a picture of Christ, blood, of, blood on the uh, doorpost for the blood of the lamb that they slaughtered, we came out. It's a picture of the world. But, but God's people did not only get stuck in Egypt, they find themselves a little bit later taken captive in another city, in another nation. That nation was Babylon, right? And so, yes, we are, we are quick to point out the evil of Egypt. We are quick to point out. I always say, like, when it's good and evil, I see the English guys, they're more comfortable with evil. The Afrikaner, they're more comfortable with good. Right? But good and evil, they're the same thing. It's the same thing. It's independent from God. Now, English guys are offended. Yeah. Don't worry, don't worry. Evil, good, same thing, right? The, the, the English is comfortable in lawlessness, not the Afrikaner. He prides himself in his goodness. Potsamensa. <laughs> so in, in, in Revelation 18, God speaks of the final dealing with Babylon. 
We find him all through the Bible, right in the beginning, right in the middle, and right at the end. Two chapters in the book of Revelation speaks of the dealing of Babylon. I just want you to see this thing that we sometimes are so comfortable with, this religious thing that's so good on the outside, how evil it is in the inside. Revelation 18. After these things, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illuminated with his glory. And he cried mightily with a loud voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and is become a dwelling place of demons. A prison for every foul spirit, and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. The kings of the earth have committed fornication with her. Oh, the nations and religion are just this good friends. And the merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of a luxury. Right? How that which seems initially started off with this thing in the Tower of Babel, man's desire, man's motivation to cancel distance between us and God, but actually in the very core, it's the pride of man that wants to elevate themselves to the place of God. Is actually such an evil thing. Such an embedded evil thing. And so much so that when Jesus came to that place with his people in front of the promised land, and he says, unless I clean this thing out of my people, unless I clean out self-reliance, my people will not be able to go through the promised land. And for 40 years, God had to work with the people. For 40 years, God had to work a certain thing out of his people. Some people are lucky it takes one honeymoon. Some people it takes 40 years. But God worked a work in us that we will no longer rely on ourselves, but only on God. And so many of God's people's corpses will lay in the desert. They save, they baptize, and all this type of things, but in their very core, in their very core, they've never learned to rely on God. Now I look at you guys, God is merciful to you guys. God is merciful to you guys. That He cleansed you of unbelief and relying on self. So, in John 15, it's one of my favorite verses. It's, Jesus says, in verse 4, he says, Abide in me, and I in you. For without me, you can do nothing. Then he clarifies it a little bit in verse 8, and he says, If you bear much fruit, for my, the Father's desire is that you bear much fruit, for in you bearing much fruit, the Father is glorified. Now, I've asked this question to some of you guys. I'll ask this again to consider with me. If Jesus says, you can do nothing, you can do nothing without him. Is that the truth? Well, of course, if Jesus says it, we must say it's the truth. But I just want us to consider a little bit here with me. 
You can do nothing without Jesus. Is that the truth? Is that what he means? You can do a whole lot of stuff without Jesus. But you can't bear fruit without Jesus. You can build a multi-billionaire business without Jesus. You can break world records in athletics without Jesus. You can start a church without Jesus. And you can get lots of people in the building without Jesus. You can do a whole lot of things without Jesus. But what Jesus says, no one can bear fruit without me. And so, in that way, he gives us the definition of what fruitfulness is. You want to know what is fruit in your life? If I can come and look at this tree, right? This uh, nice oak. <laughs> fruitfulness is that part in your life that could could not come about by any other way than Jesus. Anything in your life that could come about apart from Jesus is not fruitfulness. Anything in your life that could come about by no other way than relying on Jesus is fruit. Anything else in your life that you could bring about like a good godly relationship without Jesus is not fruit. So I want to ask you to consider your life. How much of your life can have no other explanation other than it was Jesus? And how much of the percentage of your life could be explained through your ability, your ideas, your strength, wherever you are? There's a whole lot of Christianity. Look, attendance of church is not fruitfulness. You know that. I can attend church without Jesus. I can sit here every Sunday without, without knowing Jesus. It is as simple as this. Yeah, that's, that's it. Well done. It's not fruitfulness. I can read my Bible without Jesus. The, the Muslim can read the Quran five times a day without Jesus. You can read the Bible without Jesus. You can do a whole lot of Christian things without Jesus. But if you would assess. So, Jesus um, with his disciples walked to a fig tree. Fig trees, by the way, again, in, 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 in typology or, or, or pictures, fig trees, Jesus would refer to the nation of Israel. And Jesus comes to the fig tree. And you know what he sees in the fig tree? He sees a bunch of leaves. It's beautiful. You know, fig tree's leaves is, is nice. It's covered the whole tree. And he's like, all right, surely I see the leaves. There must be fruit. He gets closer and he finds no fruit. And Jesus walks away and he cursed that tree. Jesus doesn't like it. All that you present is leaves. Now, again, I don't want to take it too far in regards to the leaf picture. But leaves was there to cover the shame from the beginning of Adam and Eve, right? And if all that you have is leaves on your tree, that 
from a distance, it looks exactly like Christianity. But if it is inspected by the Lord, there is no fruit. It's not okay. Jesus cursed that tree. Not to pick on you guys, but there was a lot of leaves on that tree. Yes, massive leaves, beautiful leaves. It was a beautiful fig tree. But when Jesus came closer, he saw there's only leaves and no fruit. He's like, that's not what I desire. And so I feel like God is calling us to this type of Christianity. He's pointing his finger on this thing. That where we have been satisfied in presenting a Christianity that's a tree full of leaves, but no fruit, that it's not okay. That he's cleaning his church of that, this pretentious goodness, but very little true God. And so... Man, we don't want to be a people that falls short. That lays with our corpses in, the good, in, in our good lives, in our church attendance. But we, we, the bodies, the corpses are laying full of the desert. And no one is walking into the promised land of really walking in fruitfulness. Alright? So I want to ask, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray for us. Maybe, maybe you, can, you, can, you guys can come to the front. Right? Worship, worship. worship guys can come So I, I'm going to pray. I'm, gonna, I'm warning you beforehand what you're going to do. I'm not going to have an altar call that tricks you into something, right? I'll warn you guys what I'm going to do. So I, I, want, I want us to I want us to allow Jesus to search our hearts. And to just let him walk with us and consider that tree. I know we have all got beautiful leaves. How much true fruit are there? How much, how much of our lives are really still just stuck in a boat? Full of attendance, even prayer and Bible reading, but there's very little reliance on Jesus. How much of it is in the promised land? How much of it is out of the boat on the water? How easy will we settle with that? So Jesus, we want to we wanna bring ourselves before you. So, so we, we understand, Jesus, that we could hide a lot of things. We've got an ability to throw that leaves beautifully. We can cover our shame and we can present good Christianity, good life so well but we know Lord if you would come and investigate and come past all those leaves there's very little root of truly truly relying on you Father may you come and and remove <laughs> remove the cover of leaves remove the um, I say fakeness now but this this pretense to 
become a people that truly, truly carry the mark of, how can you explain that life other than God is alive? Father, there where we have tolerated Babylon, Lord, it is evil. Where we have tolerated unbelief, where we have tolerated control, where we have tolerated there where we can rely on ourselves, Jesus. I pray that you would come and remove that today, Lord Jesus. Jesus, you say, 2 Corinthians 3 verse 16, you say, even till today, whenever the law of Moses is read over people, a veil remains over their eyes. They remain blind. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is being removed. Now where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. <laughs> our Jesus, our trick, our card, our trump card is to turn to you for alliance. Our trump card is your spirit, Jesus. But it's going to cost us to look away from self, Lord Jesus. So I'm going to ask that each one of you, the worship team is going to play. You can position yourself in this room. Just deal with God. Speak to God. If you want to come to the front, go on your knees. Do what you want, you know. Let's just talk to Him. Let's just turn to Him.